Good evening, and today I, well, my third interview today is Chris. Hi, Chris, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, first of all, thank you for having me, and especially after three or the third one today, that's madness, but I really do appreciate your time. Um, I am Chris McDonald, and I am the author of the D.I. Erica Piper series, uh, which is a set of police procedurals based in uh, my hometown of Marple, which is sort of South Manchester, um, which is quite fun to write. Um, and then I started writing a sort of cosy crime series. I've got those ones here. I, I came ill prepared for the Erica Piper ones. Um, but I, I started writing the cosy Stonebridge mysteries, um, which are little novellas. Um, and there's five of those at the minute. Um, the most recent one being Mistletoe and Crime, which is my attempt at um, a Christmas story, which is quite fun to write as well. So those are my two series at the minute. Did you always know that you wanted to write? Um, no. Um, I went to uni and did primary teaching um, and English. Um, so I guess there was something there that I knew that I, I wanted to do something with books or whatever. Um, but the English side of things, I, I didn't like it because it was reading like the classics and um, I just couldn't get into it. Um, so I went the primary teaching way um, and I'm still a teacher, so I only write at night time, really. But um, yeah, I think I sort of had an idea at uni for a story um, and that was like 13 years ago, which was really scary. Um, and but I never thought like I could do it justice or like, you know, people, I really looked up to authors and I've loved reading my whole life. So I thought like me reading a book, it's just, you know, it's it's not what it's what other people do and then I started playing football with a group of people and three of them were authors and then I sort of discovered that they were normal people and so I am um, this idea that I'd had um sort of came back to me and I, I thought oh maybe I will explore it so I had a go and I just yeah I really enjoyed it and then I, I sort of during the first one I put it away for like three months because I you know you get the self-doubt of like what am I doing I'm wasting so much of my time doing something that you know probably will never come off or what's the point of it and stuff um but I got there eventually and it all worked out all right yeah I would say so and how many books do you have to your name now um so there's three in the Erica Piper series um uh, A Wash of Black was my debut Whispers in the Dark and then Roses for the Dead and then there are five in the Cozy Crown series. Um, but because they're novellas, they, they're only about 26,000 words. So they're 100 pages or so. Um, so there's five. I'm contracted for one more, which I think is coming out March time next year. Um, and then after that, who knows? Um, and if you were to be transported as a character into any of your own books, which book would you choose? Ah, that's a great question. Um, I think, well, I, I started writing the Stonebridge series, which is set in a town called Stonebridge, um, which is a fictional town, but it's it's sort of based on my hometown of Coleraine in Northern Ireland. And I started writing them when lockdown hit the first one, and I was really homesick, and I had cancelled flights, and I couldn't see family and things like that. So um, I wrote those as a sort of way of being at home, um, but was advised not to call it Coleraine because 
if I said the libra the librarian was a killer, um, I might affect real lives. So I was um, <laughs> I was sort of advised to make up a fictional town and, and but the streets sort of based on it and the the shops and stuff like that. So um, I'd probably go there because I can see again, especially with Christmas coming up, I quite like to be at home and I'm not going home for Christmas. So I'd go to Stonebridge, Corian. <laughs> And if you were to take a character out of any of your books out for a meal, who would you choose and what would you ask them? Oh, sorry, sorry, went a bit blurry there. Can you repeat it, sorry? If you were to take any of the characters from any of your books out for a meal, who would you take and what would you ask them? These are amazing questions. Um, um, <laughs> there's a character in one of the, well, in a few of the Stone Bridges, so... The Stonebridge ones are about two 25-year-olds at the start, and they sort of age a little bit. Um, losers, they're, they're like both, the, one doesn't have a job, one works in a retirement home. They're sort of meandering through life with no real mission. Um, and they grow up, and it is nice to see them get responsibilities, but there's a 90-year-old there's a man called Barry who, who lives in the retirement home. And he is a busybody um, <laughs> and knows everybody's business. If there's a sort of lull in their case, he's trying to help by looking at newspapers and trying to get dirt on people and things like that. So I'd probably take him out because he gets like sort of the funny lines and I think he'd live a pretty cool life. Um, there'd be lots of stories to tell. So I'd take a little minor character called Barry out for a meal. <laughs> you hide any secret jokes or messages in your books that only a few people would understand? Um, I don't think I have done. Um, no, I, I can't think of any. They're, I try to keep it sort of, because I hate that in the book when you read something or if it's, if it's like, I don't know, you can tell that it's meant for someone and I think, ah, oh, but I don't know. And it's obviously meant to be funny. So if I don't get it, then it annoys me a bit. So I don't think I have, but maybe I am guilty of my own <laughs> pet peeve, <laughs> but I don't think so, so I think I'm okay. Um, I love this question of crime writers. If you were to be a killer in a book, how would you kill your victims? Oh, man. Well, I read so many of those, you know, like the true crime magazines and stuff like that. Um, I think I'd like, <laughs> like to... I think I'd probably do something with acid where, well, I'm not good with blood, so I'm really squeamish, which is, it's odd to write crime um, with the research and stuff, but I think putting a body in like a vat of acid so that there's very little left would be a pretty good way. I guess that's after you've already done the crime, so I guess somewhere I wouldn't get myself too, like a hit and run maybe, which is a bit of, it's not great, but I don't think I'd like the feeling of, stabbing or shooting or something yeah i think if i could try to keep my hands as clean as possible hit and run with a stolen vehicle and then it won't be linked back to me you realize if you're going to put them in acid then you're going to have to get them up off the road and into a vehicle to then transport yeah. them to acid that's true have you ever seen them um, jeepers creepers mm, yes i have <laughs> from years ago and they just keep reversing over and going again <laughs> maybe that's what i do then so it's like a squished mess yeah and then drive off abandon the car go home set fire to it 
just yeah, as yeah. a just FYI, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, in a, like a deserted warehouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you've got you've you've got ideas here. You've, you're like picking little holes. Yeah. What would you do? Well, when I was asked a question, I said I'd stab someone a hundred times, <laughs> and then when I told someone else that, they said there must be a reason for that. So I was like, okay, <laughs> specifically a hundred as well. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't know. And do you think you could keep in control of the hundred times, or do you think? Well, you'd have to be fairly controlled because otherwise you'd be just re-stabbing. Yeah. You know, you'd have to cover quite a lot of the body to get a hundred in, I think. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and not be squeamish. Yeah. And be prepared to be absolutely covered in blood. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and as a forensics person, then you would you know how to get away with that or? I, I, I would do my best. <laughs> I think I could probably, acids are good. Um, yeah, anyway, as long as they've got no false teeth or um, false limbs, yeah. they tend to be giveaways. You'd have to pick your victim carefully is, is the message that we're putting out there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, and veering uh, slightly away <laughs> from thinking about how to kill people, if you were fictionally murdered, what fictional detective would you want to solve it? Oh, man. Um, that's a really good question. Uh, who would I like to solve my own crime for my own murder? Just going to have a quick look at my books. Um, I guess Rebus is pretty, although he's pretty old now, isn't he? Because Ian Rankin ages him. So, but he's he's solved a lot of crimes. So I guess he would be reliable, and at least I know I'd probably get justice. Um, uh, I love uh, Olivia Kiernan, um, who writes the Frankie Sheehan books. Um, Frankie Sheehan's a cool detective and Olivia's a great writer so I think if it was I think yeah she's quite young and I think she could do the legwork on me whereas Rebus might be starting to fall apart a bit so yeah I'll go for Olivia Kiernan's Frankie Sheehan <laughs> and if you were to team up your lead characters with detectives from other books who would you choose These are such good questions. Um, my publisher, um, Red Dog Press, the guy that runs it, Sean Coleman, is an author, and his books, um, they've got a detective who is sort of supernaturally, which I quite like. So I think if 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 a human, or if she is a human, obviously, but if a, if a detective is having trouble with what they're saying, then maybe the supernatural can guide them. So I'd say maybe Sean, Sean Coleman's character. Yeah, I'd go for that. And then at least there's, it's not just, yeah, there's a bit of otherness looking out for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the most interesting thing you found researching your books? Um, well, like I said, I'm quite squeamish. So I've seen stuff that I've not enjoyed particularly. One of the, uh, I don't know if you could call it funny, um, but there was a, I wanted to know about exit wounds of bullets, um, and I, I foolishly YouTube like exit wounds, um, and it was a, a very unemotional American man who had an array of guns on this massive table, 
and he would, and then like a big hunk of pig bottom, I think, um, on a, a bit far away, and he would shoot the gun, show the gun to the um, the camera, and say what it was, show you the exit wound and the entry wound, walk back and do it. And it started with like little handguns, which is what I wanted, but it lasted about an hour. And he was he got into machine guns and. It was just the weirdest thing. And he, it looked like he was taking no joy in it whatsoever, which was really strange. Um, so that's probably the weirdest thing that I can remember because it, it just looked like it was not mm -hmm. fun. But you'd think if that's what you're doing in a, in a video, you'd present it with a bit of uh, character or whatever. But yeah, he was very, <laughs> he almost looked bored by it. It was weird. <laughs> and I'm kind of intrigued and kind of want to watch that. <laughs> I've got it on my bookmarks now. <laughs> <laughs> What's the most incriminating thing on your uh, search history? Oh, God. Um, probably that video <laughs> saved under my bookmarks. Um, I don't I often think, like, uh, how to get away with, or I always think if you type in, like, ingredients for a bomb or whatever, that's like an instant red flag that surely someone is looking at. Or, um, I wrote a book, uh, Whispers in the Dark, which was the second Erica Piper, and it was a bit about, um, um, it, it came sort of, it, it sort of focused on a suicide a bit, um, and it was after, I love a band called Frightened Rabbit, and the singer killed himself not too long ago, and it was sort of, you know, one of those ones, do you write it, or is it, because obviously it affects a lot of people, and it was, and stuff but I thought I could do it justice and I did I think I did and I put a little thing at the end saying you know if anyone if anyone wants to talk you know I'm here or, or there's lots of things but when I was researching that I typed stuff in and the Samaritan thing would come up being like do you need to talk to someone <laughs> like no I'm writing a book <laughs> like it's fine but yeah I felt like sort of maybe I am bordering on something here if, if it's like constant I feel like someone's going to come to my door and be like we've tried to contact you via the computer but we're here now so yeah, that, it was fine, but it, it was sort of one of those ones that I thought, you know, am I sort of qualified to write about it or not? But in the end, I think it went okay. Yeah, I imagine that was quite tough as well, actually. Yeah, um, especially because obviously I've got no experience of it, so I sort of felt like, yeah, if there was someone that had been through it and they, and I didn't want to bring stuff up, you know, for if they had, so yeah, I sort of thought long and hard about it and discussed it with a lot of people and stuff, but yeah, like I say, I think I've done it enough sensitively enough that, that it reads okay. And what's the most fun scene that you've ever written? Uh, I Well, the Stonebridge ones are quite fun because they're, like I said, they're two sort of idiots bumbling around a town solving crimes and they're intentionally sort of a bit funny. Um, but in, I think it was Whispers in the Dark again, um, where I wrote a scene that I knew would uh, upset a lot of people uh, and it was fun to write it knowing that that was going to yeah do that to people and, and I was right I, I got a fair few messages calling me an assortment of names um, <laughs> so it was fun to write knowing it but I also cried every time I read it in the edit and I thought oh, am I doing the right thing but yeah I knew it would touch a nerve with some people so it stayed in and it did. Oh, it's fun. Uh, yeah, I've gone to message an author in the early hours of the morning 
uh, going to call them very horrible names <laughs> that they were just teasing and they thought it was hilarious. <laughs> it's a, I always think it's amazing like what how you can make other people's emotions go all over the show just by words you know and, and stories and I think it's an incredible thing that that people can do so I just wanted to see if I could do it (laughs) (laughs) um do you have any phobias apart from blood I guess and would you write about them um I hate spiders so much that um we were clearing out the shed once uh, when we moved in and the guy had left like a bar like he, he sort of turned one of his sheds into a pub um so there was like a, a sort of MDF bar that I was holding and my wife was underneath it unscrewing stuff and a spider came near me and I dropped it and a nail narrowly missed her head. Um, and I would probably let go of that bar again if, if the spider came near me. So that is how terrifying. And she thinks, I think she thinks sometimes that I'm putting it on a bit, but genuinely it, I, it, it makes me shake when I think about them. So Spiders, any sort of creepy crawlies, really. Yeah, spiders are the worst. I think I could, you know, like the I'm a celeb trials, like I don't really watch it, but if it's on in the background and I see it, I just think, oh, like that thing where they put your head in a, in a thing and then drop. Ah, not a chance. Scorpions, they put scorpions in the other night. Surely that's just. Weird, just madness. What yeah. are they thinking? Just no. <laughs> They must get an absolute shed load of money. And but I don't think I, I genuinely said I don't think I could like have one spider crawling on my face for a million pounds. I'd rather not. I'd be traumatized for the rest of my life. I spoke to a guy in Australia and he, I think he lived between Australia and New York, but his fear was also spiders. So why did you go to Australia? What were you thinking? And it's like, yeah, they're huge. They're the size of dinner plates. I'm like, I know, I've seen the pictures. Yeah. Why are you, what are you doing? <laughs> no. And did he give you a reason why or just? Um, well, I think he kind of got stuck there because of lockdown. Uh, so, no. but he went there willingly. I'm assuming he wasn't bundled there. So he must have got yeah. on a plane knowing where it was going. Yeah, that's on him. Yeah, absolutely. No sympathy. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Won't ever understand. Oh. Um, what was I just going to ask you? Uh, what's your favourite first as an author? My favourite first? That's a great question as well. Um, I'm about to have an audiobook come out, and it's my first audiobook. Um, and it comes out on the 1st of January. And I listen to it and it's just, I think it's the most proud of anything I've done, um, hearing my words, but someone else reading them. Um, it's very cool. And the guy, I don't think the, the company knew when they were doing it, but the guy who read it um, is from Korean. So he's, it's like, and that's obviously, uh, like I mentioned earlier, where Stonebridge is modelled on. So it's like someone from Stonebridge reading so the accent's right and the sort of intonation and he's got the sort of um, rhythm of the jokes and stuff. So, yeah, I've listened back to it um, and it was just the most surreal, cool thing. So I think, yeah, that's my favourite thing. And I really like, because I think they've only taken one of them on. So hopefully it does well enough that the rest will come as well. Yeah, uh, hearing that back was surreal. Yeah. 
I believe I am kicking the book tour off for that on the 28th of December, maybe. Well, I'll have to check. Yeah. Yeah, it was all secret when I was messaging whoever the lady was. And she's like, there is going to be a blog tour and do you want to do it? I'm like, hell yeah, of course I do. Oh, wow, thank you. <laughs> and yeah, she's like, do you want to kick it off? I was like, yeah, sure. That's class. Ah, thank you for being part of it. It's really cool. I, I just think like these things that, that you're doing and, and the people that give up time to read and review and stuff like that, it's just mind-blowing. Um, and it's something that I don't think I'll ever get used to. So yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. We're not quite as weird as authors, but we're not far off, I don't think. <laughs> um, probably a silly question, but have you made lots of author friends since you started writing? Um, yes, I'd like to think so, and I think that's been the best part of it. Um, I've got to the point a few times where I just thought, you know, what is the point? Um, you know, I've been stressing after a day at work or when I, there's reports to write instead of doing books. I just think I could be spending my evenings relaxing or whatever so but it's the community that um that keep me around I think I think um gonna Harrogate for the first time was amazing especially after doing the podcast where I sort of it was a nice way to get to know people because my book came out um a week before the first lockdown hit so I was sort of very book out and then don't meet anybody so I was lucky that Rob Parker he did my book launch and through him I've met a load of people um and they're all very, very cool. Um, it was, uh, yeah, and not just authors, like bloggers and readers and uh, publishers and publicists and, you know, the list goes on. Just everyone that I've rarely come across someone that I've not liked. Um, yeah, it's a nice place to be part of. Yeah, I'm trying to get Rob to come and be interviewed. I keep asking him. I'll put in a word. Yeah, I went to the uh, Christmas something or other the other day and he was wearing a Christmas hat and I said he looked cute. <laughs> <laughs> He's a good looking man as Rob Parker. And as Sean Cole, like the two others that I do the podcast with are both good looking men and it's... We well, are hardly ugly. You're a nice looking man yourself, so well, you have on. no worries in that department, don't worry. <laughs> that, that was me fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and do you get a lot of feedback from readers? Yes, which is really nice. Um, obviously, the, the reviews on Amazon and stuff are, are nice because I think there's some sort of algorithm that once there's a certain amount, something happens. I don't really understand it. But I think Twitter is just a class thing for, for people being in touch. And, you know, like you said, there are people that, you know, I know that there's stuff going on with that I'll check in with sometimes. So it's become very much a not just you read my books, tell me about them. It's, you know, <laughs> I'd like to think that it's like a two-way friendship thing now. So, um, yeah, I, I, I was lucky enough that I managed to meet, you know, some readers as well at, at live things, and it's been really, really lovely. Really nerve-wracking, actually, because, like I said before, I just think it's amazing that people give up time to, to read, like, words that I write. I think it's bonkers, and, you know, I feel really honoured. So meeting them in the flesh and, and trying to show how thankful I am. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a really cool thing. I think Twitter has really helped with, obviously it's got its downsides and people can say all sorts of nonsense. Um, but I think it's been a good way to get to know people during, you know, whilst everything's been locked down. So yeah, we've got a lot of time for it. Yeah, and if you had any strange or unusual feedback? 
Um, I've had my so everyone, I guess, gets hung up on their one star reviews. Um, and I've only had two, I think, and only one has left words um, to go along with it. Somebody called my first book Twee, which kind of means like cozy and like a bit blah 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 but it's like the first thing that happens is a woman gets her throat slit on a ice rink and it's very i thought you know i didn't think it was when i wrote it i thought oh like bit grim and then when it came out people were like oh it's sick so i was like oh yeah maybe because i'd read it so many times in the edit and stuff it sort of lost the shock factor um i was like somebody called it twee i was like that doesn't fit at all but uh, Will Carver, who is an amazing author, told me that um, you don't make it, you're not an author until you get a one-star review. So I took it as a sort of badge of honour at the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, oh, yeah, people are yeah, weird, aren't they? Very strange. Uh, when you are doing your edits, what's your most overused word or phrase? <laughs> um, in my first one, um, I kept writing the you know when someone had said something they wanted to leave I'd say they turned on their heel and left and my <laughs> my editor um said it it feels like there are people spinning all over the show when they're leaving the room he's like people don't generally go and they're gone you know they sort of you know, they just turn and walk and you don't need to say it every time so he took all of them out so now if I see it in a book I take a photo of it and send it to him and say like other people say it, it's not just me so he he absolutely I still type it and you know if I'm going with like um, like thoughtlessly you know like just typing and I'll see it and I'll think oh nope I have to take that out so yeah it still does creep in there but it's almost like I know now that he, he won't like it and he won't have it so yeah that got taken out um apart from that I don't think I don't think there's any that's well there probably is tons um but none that are conscious <laughs> but yeah that's the one that I very much think god I can't write that gonna get my wrist slapped yeah I think you'd know anyway I think <laughs> if your editor shouts at you often enough I think you pretty much pick it up yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um was it this year's Harrogate you went to yes yeah the summer yeah yeah I was there as well when it's here well no I was only there this Saturday um <laughs> and were you there this Saturday yeah Ah, what a shame. Yeah, I um I got quite drunk quite quickly. And don't think of you people did. Yeah. Like it's human contact again. Um yeah. And then I met uh some people that I like Mick Heron, who I mean I love his books so much and I sort of accosted him while he was eating a burger and then I woke up the next morning and thought, Oh man, I've like met my writing hero and I I was like, I'll let you get back to your burger. Um, so, yeah, I'm not drinking since then. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I saw Ian Rankin at a like, pop-up event about his book that he finished for William McIlvany and then yeah. and tried to speak to him. And I was with the um, Hobeck people and they interviewed him. And then I tried to see if he'd come be interviewed and he was quite grumpy. And then the next morning I was sitting drinking coffee and reading and he just said, good morning, as he walked past. I was like, Okay. Yeah, he's, he's, he's quite a, um, like a, ma a massive, massive name, isn't he? So when you just see him stamping around, you're like, I can't really go near him. And then oh, um, there's an author called Susie Holiday, an amazing author. And 
she had one proof of her book that she, and I was walking past to go to the toilet at one stage and she said will you hide this for me so that I don't know where she she didn't know where it was so that she could say there's a proof somewhere around Harrogate um so I, I hid it near the toilets and I got a message from her being like not near the toilets obviously <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so then I went back to speak to her and she was with Ian and I was a bit like oh crime royalty <laughs> Right, but it's terrifying, isn't it? I've, I mean, I, I used to be shy, and I don't think I'm particularly shy anymore. And then I went to Harrogate, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to speak to anybody. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Like just seeing Richard Osman casually like stroll past is like, Ugh. yeah, I know. He's. We tried to get a selfie of him, and his the woman who was with him, I don't know who she was, was like, no, no selfies. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, he was fine. He didn't care. It was cool. But she was like, no. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's a shame. I don't like it when stuff like that happens. No. I don't know if he was off somewhere or something, but yeah. Yeah. It's fine. Totally over it. It was, it was ages ago. It's fine. It's completely forgotten. <laughs> you just don't want to point at this anymore. <laughs> He's very funny. It's very annoying. Yeah. He's very funny. And I think he was interviewed by Mark Billingham. On the Sunday, and Mark Benham is just hilarious anyway. So, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I didn't see. I had, I went to the I think the Agatha Christie <laughs> thing on the Sunday morning, and then I had to leave. My train was earlier, <laughs> so I didn't get to see it. I was gutted that I missed the um the Mark Billingham thing. Yeah, he's just funny. Yeah, yeah, really nice man. Yeah, um. I guess you might have answered this already, but if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, dead or alive, that's really good. Um, I've never read an Elmore Leonard book before this year, and I re I've read, I think, three or four now, and I've got a, a Burt's Book subscription, so every month I get a little gift-wrapped, ribboned Elmore Leonard book, and I think he had quite interesting views on uh, writing rules so he, uh, I think he said never start uh, a story with the weather and I quite like I think he'd be good because his books are incredible um, so I'd quite like to pick his brains I think so at the minute him because that's who I'm going to kick off um, When you're not working and not writing how do you like to spend any free time if you get any? Um, I would like to spend more time writing my children. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old that take up quite a lot of time. Um, and I think sleeping. <laughs> um, my three-year-old, I don't think, has slept a, a whole night yet. Um, so I think one... No, if I'm going to be greedy, like uninterrupted sleep for as long as I could, uh, or a big lie-in, or, yeah, generally getting some energy back <laughs> it would be uh, in fact i might just not write at all and just yeah maybe you've maybe this question has changed my maybe i'll stop writing and just go to bed at like seven that's like the way forward maybe <laughs> so this is me officially announcing my resignation from writing <laughs> no then everyone will blame me <laughs> Oh, I'd have to ask different questions if that's the case. Everyone's going to just go off and quit. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I was to ask your nearest and dearest what your most annoying habits are, what would they say? Um, 
at the minute we've got we got new doors and I leave them open all the time and my wife um hates the cold. Um like I will be sitting in shorts and t-shirt and she will be full slippers, three blankets around her. So if I go to the kitchen even to get like a drink and don't close the door behind me, she'll say, close the door. Uh, so at the minute that's the big one. Um and also at the minute we've all got um colds and not COVID, but um when I get a blocked nose, I I snore a lot, and I think at the minute we're like shoving each other. Whoever wakes up, the other one's snoring, so we're like just shut up. So yeah, snoring and leaving the doors open at the minute. Sounds <laughs> like a fun household to be in. <laughs> the rest of the time, we're lovely to each other, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what's the funniest place you've ever woken up, or the strangest place? Strangest or funniest place? Um, I think I've always made it back to my bed. Um, oh, I'd really love a cool story here, but I think I think I've always yeah I've always got back to to my bed. So yeah, there's no gossip with this one. <laughs> hey, what's Mom, the funniest? You're watching my own bed. <laughs> <laughs> What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you then, or the most embarrassing? Um, <laughs> the most embarrassing, I've not thought, this probably happened when I was about seven, and I don't think I've thought about it very much since, but as soon as you said embarrassing, that's the first thing I thought. Um, I had a tooth out when I was seven to make space for other teeth, I think, or else it was rotted already. Um, and when I woke up, from the gas, I asked the probably 30-year-old um, anaesthetist person if they'd marry me. And that, I've not thought about that. So that's, that must be buried deep and it's come out. So yeah, that, <laughs> that's awful. Um, <laughs> I'm sure through my awful romantic teenage years, there's been stuff, but I think that tooth thing has <laughs> uh, come back and surprised me. So there you go. That's like psychiatrizing me or <laughs> yep love it it's quite funny when I ask boys that question particularly their stories tend to involve alcohol and they tend quite often to involve nakedness <laughs> whereas mine's a childhood trauma with teeth <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not sure if that says more about you actually <laughs> yeah I think it does <laughs> Um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you like to go? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I'd quite like to go to Victorian England at the minute because about a year ago I had a story idea set in Victorian England and then I sort of set about researching a bit and then quit because reading about it and trying to get stuff like you know when you almost don't know where to start like what's useful what's not so I quite like maybe just to walk around Victorian London for a day and, and then maybe I get what I need um also we're about to do the Mayans at school uh, and I know nothing about them so I'm gonna have to do a lot of reading over Christmas um so maybe I'd go there and watch there. Although they did like sacrifices and stuff, which I wouldn't be cool with. So um, 
maybe I'd go to like a nice day when they were being cool to each other and then I'd learn all I needed and that would be that. So yeah, Victorian England or the Mayan times. <laughs> Where would you go? What would you do? I would go to the 1980s, but as a like 18 year old and see just to see the music to go to live aid see queen see david bowie see michael jackson that's a better answer i'll come with you to the 80s (laughs) and i was alive but just so i missed out and i swear my mum has never forgiven me for missing live aid but you know it wasn't my fault (laughs) she got pregnant so (laughs) yeah that's, that's on her really yeah, exactly. She can hardly blame me. <laughs> yeah, bless. <laughs> um, one thing that um, I've noticed about your books is the covers. So I had to ask you about the covers when I spoke to you. They're so cool. Yeah, um, and I can I can show a few if you want. So I've got the Stonebridge ones here. So um, yeah, I feel lucky because Sean at Red Dog. Um, Dolls very he's got a cool eye for stuff and um when we were working on the very first series the what a wash of black he he sent a few ideas back and forth um and you could tell like i loved them and you could tell he wasn't happy with them um or he'd tweak it or he'd say actually no it doesn't work because it, it doesn't tell enough about the story or something so I mean, I would have gone with the first one and loved it, but he he was very good at saying, actually, give me give me another week and I'll think about it and and stuff. So he's he's got a very good eye. He's a very clever man. Um, but when I saw the first Stonebridge one, the the curious dispatch of Daniel Costello, I you know, I think every author loves their their covers, but that just absolutely blew me away. And then each subsequent subsequent one, I've said that's my favorite. And the next one, though, actually, that's my favourite. So, yeah, he keeps... I don't know how he does it. The covers that, that Red Dog do, I think because they're in indie, they've got less of a, a pattern to follow or, um, I don't know, there, there's a lot of covers that I think are tried and tested and work for a particular genre, but I think they're free to explore whatever they want to do. So, and I think it's, you know, they that's one of the things that they really do um, put a lot of effort into. Uh, they put a lot of effort, you know, the editing side and stuff as well, massive, but yeah, I think Red Dog are killing it with the covers at the minute. Yeah, who's Sharon Burden's with as well. Yeah. Because so. both of her covers are incredible as well, aren't they? Yeah, really, really good. Yeah, whatever seems to come out. Um, there's the Jonathan Whitelaw ones as well. Um, the So his Hellcore ones got um, re-released and they're just, I think, it's just so cool the devil going on holiday <laughs> so like you can see it on the thing so yeah i think um i think if you go to red dog you're in safe hands um you mentioned briefly that you do a podcast you want to tell us more about that yeah um so we do a weekly podcast um called the blood brothers podcast um where we very similar to this except there's three of us because i could not do this by myself my hat is off to you completely um, so myself, Rob Parker, and Sean Coleman, my author, um, my author, my uh, my publisher, my author, my, like I keep him on a pet leap. Um, <laughs> we we do very similar to this. We talk to an author each week, and we ask them 
not quite as good questions as yours. <laughs> yours are, I've had to think a lot. Um, we generally talk about the latest book, we talk about publication, and, and we've got usually questions from readers. Um, and it started off during lockdown where I think my publisher's PR person said, do you have any, do you have, do any of your authors have a podcast? And he was like, nope, but by this afternoon we could do. So we very quickly got one together and we've done it every week since. So I think we've done something like 77 episodes now. Um, and I've been very lucky to meet some of, some of like my favorite authors. Cause it started off with me sort of booking the people. So I got in touch with people that I like reading and I thought it'd be cool to talk to. Um, and that was very much the first half of the year. And then as it sort of grew a bit, publicists started getting in touch to say like, would you like this person or would you like to speak to this person? So I've, I've talked to people that I probably wouldn't have read their books beforehand, but I got, and I loved them. So it's been a really cool way to, to meet and um, to find new authors that I've really loved. Um, and then I've gone back and read everything they've done. So yeah, it's been a really nice thing. And yeah, it's made me feel much more part of the community. So yeah, it's a nice thing to do. Yeah, if you authors are not bad, you're all right, I suppose, as a species. <laughs> <laughs> and I still think like I get very starstruck and every week I leave sort of feeling very motivated or um, inspired by something that they've said or a piece of advice they've given or or something. So I find it so useful every week where I go away and just think, you know, I want to want to crack on with whatever I'm doing. So it's been great for for everything. Yeah, it. Um, I agree, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so are you working on anything at the moment and do you know what you're going to do next? No. Um, well, I, I am working on stuff. So I've got the sixth stone bridge to write, which when I started them, I was contracted for six. So it's the kind of final one that, that I know that's definite. And we've had sort of chats about more. So I'm quite, I would quite like to do it. I've got a private investigator novel set in America that I've that's done and just needs a massive edit because it's very much first draft nonsense. Um, but I need to get Stonebridge out of the way first and then I can go to that. And I started writing something last night that um, I haven't planned on. So I've got like a thousand words of something completely new. Um, so I just need to sort of prioritize and stop going all over the show. <laughs> I'm blaming it on like teaching end of term tiredness because I cannot settle on anything I'm just exhausted so I keep trying to do the easy thing of because it's always nice to start something new but I think actually do what you're being paid to do <laughs> yeah. be someone best. watches this back I am working on Stonebridge 6 that's my that's my answer and then doing <laughs> what I'm supposed to be doing like a good boy <laughs> gold star for you <laughs> Well, you may be relieved to know that I don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to tell us. No, this has been the coolest thing I've ever done. I think the, the, <laughs> the questions have really made me think about stuff that I've not <laughs> a long time for good or bad. And um, yeah, I, I think it's been class. I've had a lovely time. So thank you for having me. I've really, really appreciated it. You're very welcome. So before we go, would you just like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you, where they can find your podcast and where they can find your books? Yes. Uh, so the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all the usual places. 
um the best place to get my books so they're they're available on amazon and stuff like that but if you go to the red dog press website um because it's an indie press buying through their store makes a massive massive difference to what they can do so they can keep going they can take on new authors um they can keep buying more of my books which good and it becomes it comes in a little red package beautifully wrapped and stuff like that so they take care um and i think yeah it's nice to get a little special package along with it so yeah um reddogpress.co.uk and then navigate from there well thank you very much thank you yeah this has been really cool so yeah thank you very very much <laughs>